Remain standing. Feel free to grab your Bible as we continue on in the Gospel of Luke. If you don't know me, my name is Mark Evans. I am a member here at Redeemer Church. I'm licensed to preach in the PCA. Above all, it is my privilege and delight to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 2. And our scripture reading will be verses 21 through 40 of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. And these are the words of God. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then the widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And so ends the reading of God's holy word. And Redeemer Church, what do we know about God's word? Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, You are God, and there is no other. You are God, and there is none like You. You declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done. And so grant us ears to hear, give us eyes to see along with Simeon Your salvation, that we might be a people who long for and who love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I had the privilege this last season to coach Little League Baseball for the first time for my son's six-year-old baseball team. 
And going into the season, it was rather interesting because parents kept coming up to me and they were making all kinds of interesting, ominous comments. Comments like, do you realize what you're getting yourself into? Or other unnerving comments like, wow, you must have a lot of patience, don't you? And only in retrospect now does it all make sense. For instance, I can't tell you how much of a broken record I surely seem to be to these young players because there was one coaching point, in particular when we were out in the field on defense. There was one coaching point that I found myself consistently barking out over and over and over to try and gain the attention of these young players, and it was simply this. Boys, be baseball ready. Get in ready position. Quit playing in the dirt and making sandcastles and be baseball ready. <laughs> Quit chasing that butterfly. He's not in the game. And be baseball ready. You'd be surprised. You'd be amazed how many games are won or lost in proportion to the amount of readiness. Well, I tell you that because as Christians, we likewise have a ready position, don't we? As Christians, we are likewise so prone to wander and must return ourselves to the position of readiness, waiting, hungering for the kingdom of God to be hastened. In our text this morning, we have exactly that. We have these two sublime examples of waiting saints in the lives of Simeon and Anna. But what shines through so much more than their waitingness, than their readiness, is the one whom they are waiting for, the Lord's Christ. And so we'll walk through this text in three simple, four, three simple portions. I look firstly at Jesus as under the law in verses 21 through 27. Secondly, Jesus as the Savior for all, verses 28 through 35. And thirdly, I look at Jesus as favored above all in verses 36 through 40. But our main point is simply this. Our great God renews the strength of those who wait upon Him. And that is a question even begin asking yourself right now. Do I need such strength? Am I a man who waits upon the Lord? Am I a woman who waits upon the Lord? Am I a child who waits upon the Lord? So jumping in, beginning in verse 21, Luke tells us that at the end of eight days, or more literally, when eight days were fulfilled, that Jesus was circumcised. This, of course, was according to the law. And you'll notice that sprinkled throughout this entire section of Scripture this motif of law-keeping. You find it in verse 21. He mentions it again in 22 and 24. You can see the law of Moses mentioned there. And once again in verse 39, Luke says they performed all these things according to the law. And so right away, we would do well to pause here and ask, why is Luke so insistent on his readers knowing that from the cradle onward, Jesus and the law were inseparable? We've already examined, of course, how Jesus was born of woman, and now Luke draws our attention to that wonderful truth that he was likewise born under the law, as Galatians 4 says. And do not miss how vital of a truth that is for us to confess. We must ask why. Why was Jesus born under the law? Because in asking that question comes the joyful answer that he's born under the law in order to redeem us from the curse of the law. Himself becoming a curse for us. That here is the one who, unlike us, would wholly keep the law, truly be devoted to God His Father in all things, the only one qualified to remove the law's power to condemn us. In other words, if He is going to redeem lawbreakers, He Himself must be the consummate law keeper. Kids, 
I'm sure you can think of a time when perhaps you were headed out to school. Maybe you were headed to church. Maybe it even happened this morning. You're on your way out the door, and then comes mom's dress inspection. She looks you over and she says, no, 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 wait a minute. You cannot go out the door like that. Look right here on your shirt. Look right here on your dress. There is a giant stain. That is unacceptable. You must go change. Well, kids, you should know, the only way for man to be accepted by God is that his life must be without stain. His life must be perfect. And the only way to do so is through faith in Jesus Christ. For he alone is holy and innocent and unstained, as Hebrews says, without stain. And so we see Jesus under the law continue with circumcision itself in verse 21, that Jesus takes this covenant sign in order to fulfill that sign. That here in the infant Jesus, these bloody drops, these cuts would but point forward to the time when he would ultimately be cut off. His body of flesh hanging on the tree in order to fulfill all righteousness. It's so vital that Luke tells us this subjection began from the cradle onward. The law keeper for the lawbreakers. Now fast forward 40 days. We find Jesus not only born under the law, but as the shorter catechism says, he is born into a low condition with the presentation of Jesus at the temple. You notice verse 24. Mary and Joseph faithfully come. They offer their sacrifice. This is in keeping with Levitical law. But you see, they cannot afford a lamb. So instead, they offer up these birds, which are clearly that of a poor person's offering because they could not afford a lamb. And so we're reminded yet again, here is the King of Kings. Here is the Lord of Lords. And he is presented in poverty. And why? Is this just circumstance? Does this just add texture to the story? No, no, and no. Luke is telling us he is born into a low condition for that is exactly who he is coming to save. Those spiritually bankrupt, those dead in sin, not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. As he himself will soon say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, that having all wealth, he had all wealth, perfect communion with his Father, and becomes poor for our sakes so that you might be fully blessed in the enjoyment of God. And so take heart this morning. If you find yourself mired in discouragement, defeated in sin, perhaps hopeless in your sufferings, know that you have a Savior who is born into a low condition, who is able, not partially, not somewhat, but fully able to sympathize with you in all of your weaknesses, and that by His poverty, you might become rich in the enjoyment of God. And on that note, seemingly out of nowhere, Luke then introduces us to this character named Simeon. And notice, verse 25, he is simply described as a man. That is to say, we get nothing of his genealogy, his lineage, his office, his fame. He is an average Joe, yet, yet, with above-average devotion. Look, as Luke says, he's described as both righteous and devout. As one commentator put it, rather than look at his credentials, we get to look at his character. And kids, if you take nothing else away from this morning, take this, please. That if you ever have to choose between popularity and character, between being well-liked and character, success, fame, money, whatever it is, or character, 
then take character. Take the way of righteousness every single time. Moving on, we find next that this righteous man is also a waiting man. The devout man is an expectant man. And just for a moment, think of the reverse. Think of how many unrighteous examples there are in Scripture of those who will not wait upon the Lord. You might remember Saul does not wait for Samuel before he makes his sacrifice. You might remember the Israelites as Moses is up on Mount Sinai. They're waiting and they fall into idol worship. You may remember no less a saint than Abraham lapses in faith and he takes Hagar to bear a child. But the devout man, when his mind is full of, his hopes set upon the promises of God, it's almost as if he cannot help but lean forward in anticipation of God's goodness. And we find it here in Simeon, but there's more. Let us not miss this clear connection. Verse 25 continues. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and look, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so church, let's ask the simple question. If the Holy Spirit is upon him, where, oh where, will his eyes be directed? If the Holy Spirit is upon him, where, oh where, will his faith be deposited? Where, oh where, will he be looking? Well, let's look no further than verse 26. The Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Lord's Christ. That he would not see death until he had seen eternal life. And just notice, these two things going on. You have revelation from the Spirit and you have obedience in the Spirit. You have a promise and you have Spirit-wrought obedience. You can glance again at verse 26. You see it was a revealed promise. In other words, Simeon did not concoct this on his own. I don't mean this flippantly, but there was nothing about the Lord Jesus that would indicate his glory. He was not glowing. He was not shining. He did not have a halo. There would be many who would walk right by this baby and not say, That is the Lord's Christ. God had to reveal this to Simeon. And friends, the very same is true of us. The very same. The natural man cannot, will not, accept the things of God until and unless the Holy Spirit comes and drops the scales from our eyes and we behold Christ in His glory. And secondly, you can see that from this promise comes Simeon's movement, his obedience, And glance at verse 27. Simeon came. He came in the Spirit to the temple where Jesus was. So Simeon's a righteous man, but he's by no means a self-righteous man. He's not longing to look in the mirror. He's longing to see the Lord's Christ. And so you put it together, you have this promise, and it spills out literally, quite literally, into Simeon's walk, into his footsteps. And so I pray you be encouraged this morning that the very same The very same precious Holy Spirit is ministering in the same power and with the same efficacy leading the children of God this very day. That the Spirit is, as it were, taking the Word of God, taking the revelation of God contained in the Old and New Testaments and making this Word dwell in our hearts richly. That we, like Simeon, would behold the Christ and produce the fruits of obedience in our lives. So, We've seen Jesus as our law keeper, born under the law. Now let us look at Jesus as our Savior for all, verses 28 through 35. Back to Simeon because he is not done. His long wait is over, and now it seems his his crowning moment comes as he gets to crown the king. 
Back to verse 28. You see, he takes this child up in his arms. Better said in the Greek, he receives this child. And having received, he blesses God. Now just imagine the scene. You know, there you are. You're, you're Mary and Joseph. I just, I can't help but imagine them. They've got this nervous excitement as this stranger takes their baby up. And I imagine Mary saying, Joseph, you know, go a little closer just in case. Make sure it's safe. But imagine you're Simeon. Here in my arms. Here in my arms. What every prophet longed for. Holding up the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so let's pull out exactly what he blesses God for. Firstly, peace. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. So this portion of scripture is often called the Nuc Dimitis. It's just Latin for now release or now let your servant depart. Simeon says, I've seen the Christ. Now I can depart in peace. And how few can honestly say that? The world, I fear, is, is so much closer to that poet who wrote that famous line that when death comes, do not go gentle into that good night. That when death comes knocking, that a man would rather find himself kicking and railing against it. But you see the Christian's comfort is that there is no comfort in the world that can match beholding the Lord's Christ. True peace from the true Messiah. Notice, secondly, promise. So it means peace stems from this in verse 29, that this was according to your word. That not one of God's good words failed to come to pass. And of course, it was God's word that kept Simeon stable. It was God's word that kept Simeon enduring. And again, the same is true for us. Our great God is not distracted. He is summing up all things in Jesus Christ. And His Word proves true every time. And on that note, then comes your Great Commission primer. Luke, please tell me. Luke, please tell us why can we go out and, and preach the Gospel to all of creation. Please give us a reason. Verses 31 and 32. This salvation is not simply for Simeon, but it is for all peoples of all kinds. And just remember where we are for a moment. We're in the Jewish temple after a Jewish circumcision with Jewish parents. Simeon most certainly himself is a Jew. And so perhaps he means, yes, of course, this is salvation for all Jewish people. And no, 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 he says, here is light to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, of course, described as strangers, aliens to the covenant of promise without God, without hope in the world, in a word, lightless. And in that context, Simeon says not, I know about the light, let me point you in the direction of the light, but right here, this is the light to the nations, right here in my very arms. And so this blessing by Simeon, it's almost like a, an exclamation point, going all the way back to the covenant with Abraham, that surely in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, this is the Christ you are to come to. This is your Messiah. This is the one whom you are to place all your trust in. Here is the lawbreaker for the lawkeeper. Here is the, for the one who is at war with God. Here is peace. The one who is himself your peace. The only one who can reconcile you to God. And who will for all who place simple, saving faith in Him. And lastly, if he's light for the Gentiles, verses 32, he is the glory of Israel. 
I am convinced that it's by no means accidental that all of this is taking place in or, or near the temple. The temple, you remember, of course, is where God's Shekinah glory dwelled. The glory of Israel, where God's dwelling with man was. And such was the tragedy that that glory departed from the temple, vacated the temple. It's just a shell of its former, sense, former self. It was rather inglorious, you could say. And now it's as if Luke is tipping us off. Here in this infant king, here is glory par excellence. Here is the true temple. The true temple of living stones comprised of Jew and Gentile. A glory that outnumbers all the stars of the sky. And so friends, behold the man who waits upon God. Here is a man of little repute perhaps. And yet he receives an honor that exceeds all the prophets of old. What every prophet would have longed for. Not simply just to speak of Jesus Christ, but to lay his very eyes, lay his very hands upon him. And so he's ready to go from peace to eternal peace. And friends, how much more so for us? How much more so for us? Simeon gets to see but the first flickers of the light of the new covenant. And we behold Christ in greater glory, having accomplished everything his father gave him to do, resurrected, vindicated in glory. I want to make the case that when we bless God, we but piggyback off of Simeon and even exceed this blessing. When was it you last blessed God? When was it you last seriously took inventory and said, is all this really mine? This Prince of Peace, is he really mine? This really my only comfort in life and in death? Redemption mine, adoption mine, justification mine, all mine. And say with Paul, blessed be the God of my Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ. My line of work is in the medical field. And so often it puts me in front of patients who are quite ill. Very often terminally ill. A few months to live at most, very often. And my experience has been that when I'm, I'm talking to these patients face to face, it's very not infrequently that I hear them say something like, look, I just want to live to see my next grandchild. I just want to live to see my daughter walk down the aisle. I just want to live to have my next birthday. Things all well and good in their place. But as far as the peace that surpasses all understanding, Simeon says, I just want to live to see the Lord's Christ. You are no doubt waiting for something. Perhaps the next promotion. Next season of life. I know for us we're eagerly waiting a new baby. Again, things all well and good in their place. But are you waiting for the king in faithful expectation? Are you waiting for his coming? Because that is the cry of every true church. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, we see next that just as Jesus is Savior for, our, for all people, he is also the divider of all people. Moving along now from the vertical blessing, Simeon to God, comes this horizontal blessing. Simeon to Mary and Joseph. Verse 33, Luke tells us, Mary and Joseph marveled. I imagine their jaws on the floor in wonderment. And just as they regroup their thoughts, Simeon unloads this blessing. And you'll see it is a sobering counterpoint to what just occurred. Verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed. Note the sovereign determination. This child is set 
for the fall and rising of many. The modern evangelical church seems at times to suffer from a disease. I've tried to think of a name for it. I've come up with selectivity-itis. It's not a very good name. But when describing the ministry of Jesus, it seems there's this selectivity, this bias that is so prone to paint the rosy picture that Jesus came into the world to, to usher in instant tranquility and instant harmony into what was already a fairly docile world to begin with. And we do well to remember his own words from Matthew 10. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. That our Lord Jesus enlisted himself into a holy war, into a deadly conflict. That here comes the great light only to be met with what but darkness. That here comes the Son of Man only to be met with what but an ancient dragon. That is just as the psalmist said, that all the kingdoms of the earth are aligned against the Lord and against His Messiah. It is a war that surely I do not need to tell you wages on and continues into the present day. You see it at a macro level with the systemic murdering of unborn children and the perversion of marriage. You see it at a micro level should you tell someone the gospel and their simple response is, no thanks, that's just not for me. And you see it here in Simeon as he prophesies he is for the fall of many. That this chosen stone is also a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. That he came to his very own and his own did not receive him. But he continues. And he says he's for, and I have to confess when I read this in the original, he's for the resurrection of many. For the rising of many. Simeon is of course giving us the plain speak for the only two outcomes there are with the Lord Jesus. Either falling or rising. Eternal death or resurrection life. First Adam or the last Adam. And what a comfort to these lowly parents that this is the Messiah you can put all your hope and all your trust in. And such comfort would be needed because of what comes next. Verse 35, it's as if he turns to Mary and says, Mary, by the way, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Jesus was, of course, savior to Mary, but he was no less so her boy, her beloved baby boy. And Simeon, here he is talking to this fragile young mother saying, Mary, it's going to feel like a sword has gone right through your heart. Isn't that true? I've thought that the closer you are to Jesus, in a sense, the closer you, you walk with Jesus, most certainly the larger your heart will be, but only to have more scars upon it. You will no doubt love with a greater love. You will enjoy a greater joy, but with that will come greater sorrow and greater pain. But how great is the power of God that sustained this, this fragile young mother to the very end. He is indeed for the resurrection of many. So we've seen Jesus under the law. Jesus, Savior of all. Lastly, let us look at Jesus, favored above all. We go now from prophet to very old prophetess named Anna. If you look at 36 through 37, you see she's of the tribe of Asher. She's at least 84, perhaps over 100. And she's a widow, and likely a widow from her early 20s. And more pertinently, Luke tells us, like Simeon, she was devout and perhaps even exceeded Simeon because you see she worshiped God night and day, night and day, as verse 37 says. So just notice how Luke has depicted now Simeon and now Anna, as these elderly saints, 
who are in so many ways remarkable for how unremarkable they are. Simeon, again, is just a man, seems to be of low repute. Here's Anna, this elderly woman who, woman who seems to have spent the majority of her time in solitude. Perhaps they were the kind of people you would just brush right past without even taking a second glance of. But however low they were in the world's eyes, I pray you be encouraged just how highly Scripture esteems Simeon and Anna. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have that gnawing discouragement. How little I am used for the kingdom of God. How underutilized I am. If the church is a body, it seems my lot is to be but the pinky toe. There is this pressure at times, isn't there, in Christendom? That unless I'm, quote, making a difference, making an impact, whatever that means, then all is for naught. Well, I want you to see how highly rewarded the widow Anna is simply for magnifying God all of her days. And so it's no accident that out of such devotion comes this gushing forth of gratitude in verse 38. She begins to give thanks to God and speak of Him to all waiting. And the whole thing sounds very spontaneous, doesn't it? But you can see it's anything but that. Because this praise comes from a soul that has been fixed on God night and day, night and day, communing with God. And it spreads not only upward, but also outward to all the waiting saints. As if she just can't but help herself. And so let us take from these two saints. Their waiting was not a waste. They waited with a purpose. And finally, Luke closes this section in a way that if we're not careful, may seem like a kind of oh, by the way, in verses 39 through 40. If we rush by it, it seems like it's almost saying, oh, and, and by the way, they returned to Galilee, the child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. It's very similar to what was said of John, but Jesus will hear what John did not. That voice from above. This is my beloved son. This is the one with whom I am well pleased. As Isaiah says, this is the one in whom my soul delights. And so our confession is that this is not just some side note. This is not something superfluous. It is a most glorious truth that we revel in. Luke is informing us, reminding us, that Jesus was not God dressed up in the costume of a man. He was truly human, true body, rational soul. That he truly made progress in his wisdom that he truly deepened in his perception of God's will, that he advanced in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord was becoming more and more and more his delight. As Hebrews puts it, he is set on a course of learning obedience as God's favorite. And why? But for us. But for you. To bring many sons to glory. How vital it is to confess that he became man in order to save man. That without ceasing to be God, he became man permanently in order to redeem you eternally. And for us to be restored to God's favor, it comes through this mediator who is favored above all. Well, let me close us with but two, two simple comments on Luke's gospel message on what it is to wait upon God. Firstly, the challenge of waiting and worship in the waiting. Firstly, the challenge. The Christian life is a waiting life, isn't it? Every time you pray, you wait. In hard times, you wait. As the church, we wait the return of the king. Here in a moment, we take the Lord's Supper. What are we doing but proclaiming the Lord's death until what? Until he returns. We live in this already but not yet world. 
And of course, there's the difficulty. When you are up against your unfulfilled desires, it seems like all your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Or when you're in the battle of sin, temptation, asking God, when? When will my deliverance from this besetting sin come? Even more acutely, when the throes of affliction, of suffering, of sickness, of hardship, crying out, how long, O Lord, how long? It's at such time that waiting seems rather like a fool's errand. And that God's working all things for good seems cliche when it is in fact the precious truth. I know for me, anytime I preach on waiting for God, the concern for me is that waiting would be confused with a kind of sit-on-your-hands passivity, a kind of twiddling of the thumbs, a sort of do-nothingness. And certainly there is a type of waiting that does that, that's passive, that depletes you of strength. But that is not the Christian's wait. There's a type of waiting that also strengthens and motivates and obeys and leads into greater and greater worship. And it shapes the here and the now. And so secondly, the matter of worship in waiting. Because our great God renews the strength of those who wait upon Him. And so the question for you is, you are surely waiting for something. What? Or better said, who are you waiting for? Is Christ the constant ambition of your life? Spurgeon was once asked, well, Mr. Spurgeon, how do I wait upon God? Do I read my Bible? Do I I pray? Is it the means of grace? What do I do exactly? And Spurgeon bundled up all those answers and said, yes, 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 yes. But above all else, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Make Him your dwelling place. Keep His word. Hear Him speak to you through His word. Abide in Him. See, Simeon and Anna waited for the Christ. Friends, we get to wait in union with Jesus Christ. To abide in Christ is to say, yes, I will continue to ask. I will continue to pray. But I would rather Christ than fall into grumbling and complaining. I will continue to endure. But I would rather Christ than have an idol. I will press on, but I will commune with Christ rather than cave and conform to this world. I will abide in Christ, for He turns the desert of waiting into a garden of hope. Well, perhaps now we could ask Simeon, Simeon, was it worth the wait? Did you get what you were hoping for? Would you recommend it to others to wait on God, or is that a bit foolish? Let's have his own words speak for him once more when he says... I've seen the king. I've seen the very consolation of Israel, the light to the nations. I have seen my salvation, and now I'm ready to depart in peace. What a full life this was. This was a life that said to live as Christ and to die as gain, and so too for all God's people. For blessed are those who wait upon the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do see but through a a mere dimly. We are waiting for the day when we will no longer need to say, Know the Lord, for they will all know You. That we, like Simeon, behold the very same Christ, even in His ever-glorified strength. And we know that You have promised strength to those who wait upon You. And so teach us. Teach us to wait for the grace that is to be revealed at the coming of Christ. To take courage to stand upon your promises and to know that a crown of righteousness awaits all those who long for and who love the appearing of this Messiah. In his name we pray and amen.